Did you know that Pikes Peak is often called America's Mountain because it was the inspiration behind America the Beautiful, you know, the national anthem? I actually didn't know that until, like, last year. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now that when we look out our window, we see a giant purple mountain. Purple Mountain Majesties? That's right. I like it. And then we look the other way and we see fields of grain. Wait, what is it? Waves of grain? Waves of grain. Golden waves of grain? Golden. See, I have to sing through the entire... I don't know what it is. Quick, sing it in your head. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Ryan, a born and raised Colorado native. And I'm Carrie, a Texas transplant and a Colorado newbie. And this is the Hashtag Colorado Life Podcast, where we help newcomers and natives explore like a local. Together, we're a married couple living along the Front Range in Colorado. I'm really excited about the second episode because today we're talking about how to live at high altitude and avoid altitude sickness. And we're also going to be sharing our favorite places to visit at high altitude. So first question, what exactly is considered high altitude? So I had to do a little bit of research to find it, but high altitude is considered above 3000 feet. And where we are, we're, we're a little bit above 6000. So we're twice that. So in Colorado Springs, we're above 6,000 feet above, above sea, sea level? Yes. Okay, gotcha. While Denver is, you know, a little bit below that, but the Well, effect... the Denver is called the Mile High City, right? So it's like a mile above sea yeah. level. Yeah, okay. So a little bit less, but not a big difference. So if you're moving or visiting to Colorado, how did you prepare? How would you re- prepare? Because you, being from Texas, and you coming up here mm-hmm. many times in when you're a teenager to go skiing and stuff, what would you do to kind of like avoid it? I was not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every year when we would come here, I would just basically get sick. Um, I would have to, well, you know, when I was like a teenager, you'd get over it really quickly, or you just uh, you'd adapt really fast. But as I got older, and then when we moved here, um, actually, so we moved to Boulder in October of 2015. 2015. And so that following spring, I remember being outside and I was putting together this little planter that I was planting some plants in for our balcony and stuff like that. And I think I was out there like all day on a Sunday and I didn't drink any water really. And I didn't realize I was even sweating because that's another thing here is, you know, the higher up you are. Um, the closer the sun is to you, or at least that's how I feel. <laughs> and uh, it's really hot sun and it makes you, it's like dry air too. So it doesn't, you don't really feel like you're sweating. And uh, so anyways, I was putting in these plants and the planter and all that and out there all day in the sun. And as it started getting later into the day, I didn't realize that I was super sunburned. And I was also very dehydrated and my blood pressure started skyrocketing. I got really hot, like my face and my body was really red and I was so hot and I felt super sick and I was like shaking and everything and I couldn't figure out what's going on. And you told me to sit down and just relax and drink some water and whatever. Come to find out I had basically had a heat stroke and I was dehydrated from being in the sun in the high altitude and not drinking a lot of water and getting sunburned and everything like that. It was really, really scary, actually. And so now uh, we kind of have even a joke that I drink so much water that I just pee all the time. But that's because (laughs) I don't want to get dehydrated again. And it's super easy to do. At least it is for somebody who didn't grow up here. Yeah. And then there's me. I don't really notice the elevation at all. I come up and down and never really have any problems. When I was living at sea level for 
many years and I would come back to Colorado, I would experience almost no effects at all. But I don't know if that has something to do with me being from here, you know, being gestated, gestated, whatever, in my mom's stomach here. So I was just like, I grew being used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you were born here and I just, you know, moved here. So yes. it's a big difference. I mean, even now, I've lived here for almost four years and I don't notice the altitude for the most part. But when we go hiking or we go driving into the mountains at all, I still get symptoms of altitude sickness and I still have problems with it. So, I mean, it's definitely something that you're going to notice. And uh, it wasn't something I had initially thought about when I wanted to live here. But when you move here or visit here, you definitely need to prepare for it. Um, Actually, so my mom is somebody, so my parents came up and visited us, you know, several times since we've lived here. And the first time that my mom was here, she actually got altitude sickness pretty bad, so much to the point where after three days, they had to turn around and go back home. So it can definitely affect, you know, anybody when you're even just visiting here. So we're going to be sharing some things, you know, some tips and stuff here in a little bit of like how to avoid that. Um, But especially when you're traveling and you don't live in Colorado and you're coming to the state, um, you definitely want to be careful of high altitude sickness. It is very true. My uncle actually lives in uh, Arizona. He actually lives up in the mountains of Arizona. And he... Wait, Arizona has mountains? (laughs) Are they like Colorado mountains? Yes. I need to go there and see this. So he lives pretty high up in the mountains. He only lives about, I think, 800 feet below Colorado Springs elevation. And many years ago, he was coming up and visiting. And just that 800-foot change caused him to get sick. He got altitude sickness just from going up 800 feet. And he's acclimated to it. But it was enough to cause a problem because he was not preparing. He was not avoiding it. And he essentially got the symptoms are just like the flu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a fun trip. Yeah. I mean, I noticed it as well. We've gone to um, some of the mountain towns. Like we stayed in Breckenridge for our anniversary last year. I don't know exactly what the elevation is uh, of Breckenridge, but compared to Colorado Springs, it's a little bit higher, I'm sure. But not by that much, right? Yeah. Like incrementally. And uh, I noticed it a lot when we were there for only the weekend. Yeah. And by the time we got home, I was like, oh, thank goodness I'm back in sort of normal elevation of what I'm used to because I was getting a little bit of a headache and nauseous and it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So, But I do have one question that I'm interested in hearing is like, so you said that higher elevation doesn't really bother you, but what about when you go like from super high elevation to lower elevation really quickly? So... I went to Alaska last summer, and I was right on the water, so, you know, just right at sea level, and I started getting really sick. I kind of just, like, looked into it to see if there was essentially a reverse altitude sickness, and there indeed was just exact same symptoms, but literally the opposite. Someone who is acclimated to a high elevation comes down to a sea level way too quickly, they just get the exact same problems as somebody who is going from low elevation to high elevation. It was really interesting. I had no idea that that existed. Yeah. And the top suggestion that was on the internet was quickly ascend to 3,000 feet or more. And I was like, well... Well, How are you going to do that quickly? (laughs) not easy. (laughs) You got like your own private plane ready to go? Yeah, yeah, helicopter. What is that called though? Like 
Reverse altitude sickness? I think that's essentially what it was called. Or okay. or D altitude deacclimation sickness, I think is what it actually was called. Okay. Well, anyways, um, so that was just something I was curious about. So um, what are some tips for high altitude and avoiding altitude sickness? So uh, as we discussed, obviously drinking a lot of water and making sure that you have a lot of fluids and that you're hydrated. So, you know, if you're going to say like either fly to Colorado or drive, you are going to ascend pretty quickly over like a two day period or even just in the one day that you're on the airplane. So you want to have a lot of water for sure. Yes. Water is, I think, number one. And that's pretty much true with any sort of illness. You always want to drink a lot of water. You want to drink a lot of water, but you also want to eat a lot of food, um, like enough to keep your energy up. I mean, your body is really struggling and working hard to produce more red blood cells to compensate for the thinner air. So your body needs those resources to produce the, the red blood cells. Yeah, and like good food, right, for energy and stuff like that. I don't think you'd want to just eat like a boatload of burgers when you get on the airplane. Yeah, Twinkies, alcohol, <laughs> it's great. That sounds terrible. Um, and then, you know, also protect your skin, at higher elevation, you're definitely more easily sunburned. Um, wear some sunscreen and stay out of the sun uh, as much as possible. It definitely drains your energy. You're also going to like lose a lot of fluids really like much more fast. Um, and then take it slow if you can, you know. So we always drive to Texas and visit my family and then drive back. And then, you know, people that come and visit us, whether it's your family from California or Arizona or my family. Um, but if you can take it slow and, like, drive for two or three days and kind of acclimate every day, like, as you get a little bit higher, um, that'll definitely help. It makes you wonder if people who fly here have a harder time than people who drive here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, the ascent in a, in a car is going to be much more gradual. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, another thing that I do, I'm not sure if it's really scientifically sound as a tip for avoiding altitude sickness, but I mean, one of the symptoms of altitude sickness is getting a headache and migraine. So I always take the recommended daily amounts of ibuprofen when I'm going up into higher elevation. So that could be a good tip for some people. At least it works for me. Help avoid those headaches and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mostly that. I don't think it would really help with avoiding altitude sickness. It would just help with a symptom of it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, What are some other symptoms of altitude sickness? We talked about headache. It's the flu. Shortness of breath, you're nauseous, Mm -hmm. get headache. You just feel like you have no energy at all. But it can be pretty mild to pretty extreme. You You can just, like, feel kind of iffy, and you just want to, like, take it easy. But it could be so bad that you can spike your blood pressure and you have to have like an emergency run to the the ER or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like getting a good amount of sleep is also helpful. So, I mean, these are basic like how to stay healthy tips. Drink a lot of water, eat good food for energy, take it slow and get a good amount of sleep. I mean, it's pretty basic, but it's still very important. And something else that can help you avoid this is up in the mountain towns because they have so many tourists from not high elevation they actually have oxygen bars so uh okay so what is that exactly i don't think i've ever been to one so they have these giant tubes that you literally stick your face against and they put 100 percent pure oxygen up from these tubes and you breathe it in so your body is able to get like hyper oxygenated briefly your body will be flooded with oxygen so it'll steer clear of a lot of those things it doesn't necessarily reverse it, but it can kind of help temper hmm. 
the symptoms. And I guess it works because they ha- I've seen some of those bars just, you know, walking around or whatever, but I've never been inside one. So, I mean, I guess they work. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, so let's talk about cooking at higher elevation. You're a personal chef, so cooking at higher elevation is definitely different than when we were in Texas or even when you've lived in Seattle. What are some things that people should know? The air pressure is lower, so that means that the boiling point will be lower here. Um, That's interesting. So, like, the boiling point is 212 degrees usually. Yes, so here it's what? Here it is actually around a little bit above 200. It is uh, one mile up, it's 203. So where we are, I bet you it's pretty close to right at 200 Hmm. degrees. So a couple things happen, interestingly, in the science of cooking at high elevation. First off, boiling liquids cannot exceed their own boiling point. So if the boiling point is 200 degrees... Water is not ever going to get above 200 degrees. Otherwise, it just completely bypasses and turns into steam. And mm-hmm. You don't have boiling water. You just have a cloud of steam. Um, so things that are affected are things that have to really do with water. So, so um, cooking pasta is going to take probably one or two extra minutes. Um, if you're cooking any sort of meat, if you were to be boiling, don't boil your meat. That sounds terrible. <laughs> But like braising something or steaming something, it's going to take a lot longer. So the trick is to add a quarter more time. So if you have to, if you're like braising something for three hours, you want to add a quarter more of that. So that means 45 minutes more at the same temperature. Don't, Don't change the temperature. Keep it the same. Just increase the time. Okay. So increasing the heat is not going to help. Yes. It'll just dry out the food more. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, simple ones, cover your food. That's just like basic. Like with a lid or are you talking about like with aluminum foil? Foil, or? foil will be fine. Okay. Anything, lid will be good too. But whatever you got will really help keep the moisture in. Um, you could also get a pressure cooker. I recently have gotten a pressure cooker. Yeah. And it it's amazing. It makes things really quick. It it changes the way you you cook food when you use it because you don't have to worry about it taking so long because it just has so much pressure that the opposite of having low pressure here, that there's so much pressure that it brings up the boiling point to like 300, 350 degrees rather than 200. Okay, so with a pressure cooker, then you wouldn't have to necessarily extend the time. Like it would basically be at normal, correct, normal sea level cooking style. And also mention that dry things, like if you were to go get a rotisserie chicken or if you were to do some some grilling or something, that will all take the exact same amount of time because heat is not affected by pressure, um, the air pressure, just water. Okay, that's an interesting tip. So um, when you're baking, leavening agents like yeast, baking powder, and baking soda, they will have more rising power because the air is thinner up here, so that means there is less resistance for the gases created by the leavening agents. So if you are above 5,000 feet, you want to use 20% less. So if it says to use like a fourth of a teaspoon, just use like, well, 20% less. Just kind of eyeball it Mm -hmm. and you should be okay. Um, Another thing that really happens is because the boiling point is lower, the water will get cooked out of things a lot quicker. So anytime that you are told to use an egg in baking... You can use an extra egg or just the egg white or egg yolk, whichever. 
Um, but one thing I do is instead of just using large eggs, I use extra large eggs. So, you know, four, let's just say four eggs will equal about two cups worth of eggs, while four extra large eggs will be like two to, or two and a half to maybe three cups of eggs. Okay. That's interesting. And then the last one is microwaves. They work by exciting the water molecules in the food that is in the microwave. So microwaving stuff will always take longer here too. Compared to sea level. Correct. Okay. Wow, that's really awesome. I, a lot of that stuff I actually didn't even know. So um, I was, It's so lucky you get to sit back and just enjoy I, the benefits of the food. I know, it's really true. <laughs> well, I have seen, especially like the leavening, when you're talking about these stuff rising, we've had, um, you know, like croissants that we've bought or something, and they're frozen, and then we want to thaw them out and like them for them to rise, and they don't rise nearly as much because it's more it's colder here, and there's not enough, very much... Um, humidity in the air so i've definitely noticed that the rising is affected and we've had to like leave them out longer for them to rise more yes yeah and that's mostly just because of the cold though because oh, okay. it's chillier um because leavening well, will be more here. effective yeah. yes mm-hmm. all right so any other high altitude friendly cooking techniques i mean i feel like that was a lot of them so yeah i kind of feel like i just threw a bunch at everybody so. all right cool <laughs> Well, let's have some fun and talk about some of our favorite mountain towns mm-hmm. in Colorado that are that have like super high elevation. A town that we drive through quite a bit when we are going up to like Breckenridge um, or we want to go to Glenwood Springs, anywhere a bit further north, just the path that we take, we end up going through a town called Alma, which is certainly the highest uh, elevation town here in Colorado. I think it might just be a township, whatever that means. I don't know. Yeah, they I don't mean, have, it's a small town. Like, do they have a mayor? Is that, is that? I think they can only be a town if it has a post office, so oh, it has that. Oh, all right. Well, so we'll say that. <laughs> all right. So Alma's way up there. It's 10,500 feet. It's, it's really high up in the sky. Um, driving through, you'll notice that your car has, like, no power. <laughs> Um, when we've, when we've driven through, we have about here in Colorado Springs, we have 20% less power compared to sea level, but up there it's closer to probably like 30, 35%. Also going over Eisenhower, uh, or no, it's Loveland pass through Eisenhower tunnel. Mm-hmm. Cause you're at about 11,000 feet there. That's true. Yeah. I have definitely noticed the change in the power with the vehicles. That's, that's been a very big thing that yes. I noticed too. Um, well, another one of our favorite towns is Woodland Park, um, which is super cute. It has so many awesome things to do, especially outside. Yeah, it's like uh, 8,400 feet above sea level. And uh, we definitely like to go there. I mean, they have really cool like little things you can do around town and stuff. But our favorite thing to do, obviously, is to just go out and find some really good hiking trails, explore a little bit. There's lots of little like side trails and things you can find. Um, we've even found like lakes and ponds in the middle of nowhere that we've walked around. It's been really cool. So one really cool thing in Woodland Park is this little restaurant, little breakfast lunch place called uh, the Donut Mill, oh, and yeah. they have these donuts. And I kid you not, they're literally the size of a hubcap. <laughs> they're huge and they're delicious. That it's sounds always, amazing. It's always fun to go and grab one, and then you know share it, and still have a ton left over. Yeah. (laughs) So speaking of donuts, on Pikes Peak, which is above 14,000 feet, they have a little tourist place at the very top of the mountain. And they have a little gift shop and then a little restaurant and everything. And 
in the little restaurant, they have, again, donuts. We love donuts. <laughs> and in those those donuts, they have to make them completely different because of the way that water will work at that elevation. I mean, we're getting way down into like water's boiling at like 180 something degrees at this point. Mm -hmm. So they can't just use milk. They actually have to use evaporated milk. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, 14,000 feet is really high, totally different than, you know, in the Springs, it's like six, like you said. And uh, so that's like double. More than double. More than double. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, before we wrap up the episode, we always like to talk about a frugal on the front range tip where we end with a tip for finding free or affordable activities in Colorado. And this one is actually really fun. It's a short one. Um, If you're looking for some free altitude themed fun, go ahead and visit the state capitol in Denver. You can climb to the 13th step. It's actually one mile above sea level, so 5,280 feet, and you'll see a fun little marker there. So you can take a picture, you can uh, document the fact that you're exactly one mile above sea level Mm -hmm. there. It's really cool. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode. Uh, We really appreciate everybody listening. Thank you so much. And to learn some more about this episode and the resources that we shared, like the High Altitude Cooking Guide, visit our website, hashtag coloradolife.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review. It helps us get discovered by new listeners, and we love to hear what episodes you guys enjoy. Yes, thank you again so much for listening. Until next time, get out there and explore our beautiful state. Bye.